This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about how we might be different often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condes Presley, and it is February. Two very important observances this month, and I think we're going to be able to talk about both of them with our guest today. First of all, it's the first Sunday in February. It is Black History Month, and each week this month, we are going to be celebrating the many contributions Black Americans have made to American history. And as we are recording today's show, it is February 5th, which means it is Wear Red for Women Day because February is also Heart Month. And our guest today is someone who can talk to us about both of those important occasions. She is Dr. Melody T. McLeod. She's a retired OBGYN, consulting on a number of cases, author now, writing books, and is the reason that I wanted her on our program today was to talk to us about the very first Black woman to become a doctor. And Monday, February 8th, would mark Dr. Crumpler's 190th birthday. Did I remember? Did I get that right, Dr. McLeod? Yes, you did. Thank you for being with us. Welcome. Uh, again, I just set up a whole bunch of stuff for us to talk about, but really what I know you wanted to tell our audience was about Dr. Crumpler. Why don't you tell us that story? Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me, Condice. I appreciate being here with you and the legacy of your program is just remarkable. So thank you for having me and, and to your to your listeners. Yes, uh, I, I want to tell everyone about the story of Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler, who was uh, the first black female physician in the United States. And she became that in 1864. So as the Civil War raged, Dr. Crumpler graduated from what is now Boston University School of Medicine and became the first physician in the US. And I just think that is just a remarkable feat for her to have accomplished at that time. Um, she grew up in Delaware. She was born in 1931 and she was uh, raised by a young woman, her aunt, who cared for the sick. And Rebecca was so impressed by that, that she too decided she wanted to help other people. She eventually moved to Massachusetts and became a nurse. And the doctors with whom she worked at the hospital were so impressed with her, her intellect, her skills, her dedication, that they actually recommended her to become a physician. They recommended her to medical school and she was accepted and she graduated. So after she graduated again in 1864, while the war was still going on, uh, when the war ended, uh, in the, the United States government set up something called the Freedmen's Bureau, and it was to help repair Civil War-torn communities. So she actually left Boston, the safety and security that she knew, and Boston in the North, and she went to Virginia, which I think was extremely courageous of her to do in the post-Civil War era immediately after. And she went to Virginia specifically to treat and care for the recently freed slaves that the white doctors refused to touch. So there were thousands and thousands of recently freed slaves without any medical care. And, but while she was there, she actually you know, endured some hardships because it was reported that a lot of the hospitals, well, the few hospitals that were there, they did not want to 
grant her privileges to admit her patients. Some of the pharmacists denied her uh, prescriptions. They didn't want to honor her prescriptions. And what really hurt me is that even among her colleagues, it was said that the MD behind her name stood for mule driver. That hurts still. That stings. But she persevered. She hung in Virginia for three and a half plus years. And then she moved back to Boston. She set up her practice. Uh, she and her husband, they she worked on one floor and lived above that. And she later wrote a book. So she was just a trailblazing woman. And I just think her story needs to be told. It's not even in history books. And I think people need to know about her story. How did you become first aware of Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler and her story? Actually, I did not learn of her until I moved to Atlanta in 1981, which is ironic because where she her where she got her degree from, which again is now Boston University School of Medicine, that is my alma mater. Okay, I went to Boston U undergrad and Boston U School of Medicine, but I did not learn of Dr. Crumpler there. I learned of her only when I came here because at the time there was something called the Rebecca Lee Society, which was a group formed by a few Black women physicians, uh, and it was kind of like a support group because there weren't many many Black female physicians and read about her story. And, and then over the years, especially since 2013, I've been really active uh, with Boston University School of Medicine about advancing her story. When I moved to Atlanta, actually, uh, there are a few first doctors here. Uh, Dr. Jewel Borders, OBGYN, she began practicing, I believe, around 1965. Uh, her father, of course, was a famous uh, preacher, Reverend Borders. I humbly submit that I was the first OBGYN to set up a practice in DeKalb. County. And that was in 1981. So we're only talking 40 years ago. And then of course, Dr. Wow. Renette Flowers, a pediatrician in DeKalb County. She began around 1980. And Dr. Zell Phillips, a general surgeon, began around 1982. So there are a lot of new firsts. But again, it's not that long ago that we've had these firsts in Atlanta. What made you decide that you were going to pursue a career in medicine? Well, I think a key person in my young life is I actually had a Black female pediatrician when I was a little girl in New York City back in the 60s. I'm telling my age, which is perfectly fine. You know, it's okay. Uh, but I had a Black female pediatrician, Dr. Doris Weathers, and she died last year at the age of 91. But I remember I used to love to go to her office. I used to love to go there and, and smell the alcohol in the air. And I'm, I'm not talking drinking alcohol. I'm talking rubbing alcohol. I used, to, I used to love to go there. And also I would hear how she helped people feel better. I, mean, I can even see her office as I'm talking to you right now. So I think that had an impression on me. I'm a giver, I'm a helper. And so I became a candy striper when I was in high school. And uh, and so I think she, just seeing her and the caring of other people, helping people feel better and also science. I love science. And uh, so medicine was just a natural uh, place for me to be. For someone who is the or was the first African-American female physician to set up a practice in DeKalb County, Georgia in 1981, who was inspired by your Black female pediatrician who discovered the story of America's first Black female doctor, Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. What challenges did you experience as a physician establishing herself in the community? And how did you overcome those? Before I specifically answer that, I will tell you that when I was in high school, my mm -hmm. high school teacher told my mother to make sure I take typing because Black people don't become doctors, okay? Mm -hmm. And I remember being at that PTA meeting. I remember Miss 
Starks saying that. And, but I knew better because I had had Dr. Weathers. Now I went to school in Boston up in the Northeast. I was quite honestly afraid to come South because of the history of the South and Black people. Um, and to start and train at Grady, which was a, an intense training program. Truly, I mean, anyone, trust me, if you train at Grady, you know, you you get exposed to everything. You, you see everything. So I knew it was going to be intense. I mean, I worked 115 hours a week sometimes when I was in training. So, but to come South, South and to basically be in a new environment, mostly a white environment, uh, not many women, certainly not many Black women, you feel that pressure and you also feel the pressure to do better. Because often, and a lot of times people don't like to hear this, but as a Black person, you really even have to be better than other people to even have them deem you as being equal to be there. You know, I don't know if you know what I'm saying, but you have to be better than to be accepted as being equal. So that was always a pressure. Um, but I studied hard and uh, I was committed to my, my calling, to the career, to the profession, to caring. So I just stayed focused. I kept my head down uh, and I did what I had to do. Uh, and also in setting up a practice, you know, a lot of people wanted to go into practices with other people. I always wanted to hang my own shingle. And, uh, and so that's what I did. And, uh, and, and thank God, you know, it was great. And uh, no lawsuits ever, great patient clientele. And uh, I'm in touch with quite a few of them still. And uh, in fact, many of them want me to come back and practice. But anyway, we, I, that's a whole other topic. But uh, yeah, so... I encourage people, you know, follow your heart, stay true to it, study to show yourself approved. You can overcome challenges. Don't get distracted by the naysayers. I had people, you know, some naysayers. Uh, also people get jealous and catty when they see you succeed and do well. So that was another issue I, I have felt and faced, but um, I, I just believe, you know, I'm, I'm a woman of faith and I just prayed a lot and kept my head down and stayed true to my profession and the ones to do the best to take care of patients. So I love the medical profession. It's a wonderful profession to be in. So knowing, Dr. McLeod, everything that you experienced, how on earth was Dr. Crumpler able to succeed a century before? Well, that's what I find so amazing. Because again, I was afraid to come from Boston to Atlanta in 1981, okay? Imagine her in 1865 leaving Boston to go to Virginia right after the Civil War. I just find that to be utterly courageous, uh, noteworthy, and I, I just think it took a lot of, of bravery on her part and her husband who was with her. Uh, and not only did she work in tent camps, but she didn't have, quality living quarters at all. She was living and working in basically tent camps. So that's why I wanna advance her story and give her as much honor and praise as we can because she, she, you know, blazed that trail that so many of us now are on. And, but we still have a long way to go because the numbers of black physicians, male and female is, you know, terribly low compared to white majority. Um, and, and I think it's important too for parents to expose their children to science, to medicine. You know, we have other careers other than being a hip hop singer, 
you know, a booty shaking rap star or hip hop singer, or pop singer and other careers other than playing ball. You know, that's that's one of my pet peeves about the community. You know, that we need architects, we need engineers, we need physicians, we need astrophysicists, we need meteorologists, we need more broadcasters, we need a whole bunch of things. We need plumbers and electricians, contractors, you know, there are other things. I want people, and this is what I talk to people about. If medicine may not be your thing, okay, fine. But there are other careers that we can go into other than playing ball and singing. Are all or many Black female physicians members of the Rebecca Lee Society? You know, the Medical Society for African-American Women. I know that was named in her honor. Yeah, well, that was. And I think to my, everything I can see right now, actually that society is defunct at this point from what I can tell. I need to check on that. I can't say that for sure but I'm not aware of the society here being active anymore or in other places I've been looking around. Uh, we do have the National Medical Association, which is the mm -hmm. uh, body of black physicians, male and female. And, and that was formed because the AMA, the American Medical Association refused to allow black doctors into the AMA. So, uh, the NMA was formed, National Medical Association. And from the get-go, they allowed white doctors. It's like, okay, you didn't let us into yours, but you know, we're open, we'll let you into ours. You know, we, we have, as a people seem to do that, you know, it's like, hey, it's okay. We, um, but um, so there, you know, there we do have the NMA um, and, and that's important because again, you, there's some camaraderie there and we need that support from each other and to advance that there are black doctors out here. and. And one thing that's important is that we know, even with ethnic health disparities, we hear that a lot now, especially with COVID and everything really, uh, there's a difference. Uh, we know for a fact that black people and other people of any ethnicity, they seem to receive medical care better and follow medical advice better when it's given to them by people of their own ethnicity. So that raises the point of we need more black doctors. Exactly. You are absolutely right. I was having a conversation earlier this week with the uh, president and dean of the Morehouse School of Medicine, Dr. Valerie Montgomery Rice. She was one we of my residents, by the way. She, I helped, <laughs> she, she, she was one of the residents I helped train. <laughs> Go on and claim her. I love that. Well, yeah, there are quite a few. I mean, uh, Dr. Sh uh, Shelley uh, Dunson Allen here at North Fulton. She became chief of staff at North Fulton Hospital. So yeah, anyone, if you went through Emory and you helped train doctors and it's glad to see other you know, people that you've helped teach them how to tie a suture or how to place a stitch, you know, I'm glad to see them succeed and do what they're doing. Absolutely. But again, I, the point that I was going to make was how we believe that more people of color when we have the conversations about COVID are more apt to want to seek out the vaccine, knowing that Morehouse School of Medicine is involved. You know, it's like, well, the school has blessed it. It, it must be okay. Yeah, that's very important. And also too, people may not know that one of the researchers in the vac on working on the vaccine was a young black, is a young black female. I, I don't have her name in front of me, but I have it actually because I'm working on a new book and I'm going to include her in that. A black female helped research the efficacy of the vaccines. So yeah, if, if people can see we are doing this, we are getting the vaccine. I've been vaccinated. I've had my first shot. I'll go for my second shot next Friday. Uh, 
And yes, the Tuskegee experiment and other things that have affected our psyche, I get that. But the more people see more of us being out there in the positive, providing healthcare to the community, get on board because the only way we're gonna change black health is if we focus on it and actively work to do so. And we can do that with the help of not only black doctors, but yes, we need black doctors, black nurses, and we need the public's trust to come forward and do their part as well. Absolutely. Something else I wanted to ask you about, Dr. McLeod, it's February, it's Heart Month, and I wanted you to speak to the importance of women, specifically Black women, and our heart health, because even with COVID and everything else everyone is going through, heart disease remains the number one killer uh, of us. Absolutely, and it cannot be understated. Heart disease is the number one killer. So it's important, again, to exercise, to eat properly, to get your checkups done. Um, know your family history is important. Uh, truly, and I mean, I see so many people, you know, their, their, their mother, their father, whoever had a heart attack. And also, too, we know, too, when Blacks go to the emergency room, sometimes their symptoms are minimized. So you have to be an advocate for yourself. Okay, you have to speak up. Don't be afraid to ask questions. But I really want people to be regular about getting their checkups done. You know, as, as a people, we can be in church. Well, again, COVID has limited a bunch of stuff. But normally, you know, we can be in church all week, all day Sunday, choir rehearsal on Tuesday, Bible study Wednesday, prayer meeting on Friday, panning out tracks on Saturday. I, I know I used to be a real church lady, okay? But we won't go to the doctor one day a year to get our checkups done. So I encourage people, heart health, take care of your heart, watch your diet, exercise, uh, social interaction is good for your heart, laughter is good, e even those type of things, mindfulness, uh, let go of the stress. If people can't receive you, let them go, let go of that stress, because even that can hurt your heart, your heart. Uh, so yes, encourage women to do better by their heart health. Absolutely. What are the top two or three things that you want our listeners to know and remember about Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler? I would say that she, first of all, recognized a desire she had in herself for a, a profession, a career. She she said that she, in fact, she, she said, I early conceived a liking for and sought every opportunity to be in a position to relieve the suffering of others. So she was in tune with what her, what she felt her calling was. In the midst of tough times and dangerous times, she persevered, she was courageous, she studied, um, she engaged with her colleagues especially there in Boston. And despite naysayers in Virginia, again, she stayed true to her calling. And um, not only did she care for the sick, but she wrote books about that to leave word for the rest of us that follow. And so I would say, stay true to your calling, stay dedicated and committed. And to the haters, just don't let them get you off track. Yeah. So now for somebody who was born in 1831, 
and I couldn't find this in my reading and the materials that you shared with me, was she born free or born enslaved? Actually, I, I that part, truly, and we're doing a little bit more research. I believe she was born free, okay, in Delaware. I believe, but I can't say that for sure. Born free. Uh, her husband, Arthur, he actually was born enslaved and, and won freedom. Uh, and then she, again, through the 60, 1860s medical school, she went back to about 1883. And then she was buried in 1895. Uh, but my understanding is that she was born free, but I can't guarantee that for sure. So that would have been, that would have meant she had an opportunity to learn how to read. Because I'm just, I, as, yes. as we talk and I think about what her life experience would have been, one of the things that held us back was not being able to know how to read. And Dr. Crumpler not only knew how to read, she published books. Exactly. And interesting too, not only about her, but her husband, uh, Arthur, he actually, Boston declared him uh, Boston's oldest pupil because he loved reading, he loved to study, and he kept studying for years and years and years, even after she passed. So reading is just so fundamental and important. Um, but again, I think she was born free and, and obviously, and also she's in the Northeast, okay? So some of yes. the energies of the South were not exacted upon her up there. Uh, and one thing that's interesting too, and why her story is so prominent right now is it was only last year that even after 125 years of her death, did she get a gravestone? 125 years after her death, she did not get a grave, a headstone until last year, July. Isn't that something? Who was responsible for that? Who, who made sure that happened? There's a woman named Vicki Gall. She is the head of the Friends of the Hyde Park Library in Massachusetts. And I, I have to say that because of some articles I had written about Rebecca Lee, including I got a proclamation from Virginia Governor Ralph Northam when he was going through his blackface scandal, I reached out to him and I said, yo, this woman served the Commonwealth of Virginia, you know, can you at least give us a little bit of something? So you gave me, so Vicki Gall, God bless this woman, she is a historian. She loves reading about history. She was curious about the people buried in this particular cemetery near where she lives in Hyde Park. She realized that Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler was buried there. So she went there to look for her grave, couldn't find a stone. So she began digging up. So she actually mobilized the Friends of the Hyde Park Library. This is a white woman, Friends of the Hyde Park Library. She mobilized her, her the friends and she reached out across the country and she got money from people around the country and also from the four medical schools in Massachusetts. And they raised enough money for not only for Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler's headstone, but also for the headstone of her husband, Arthur, who is, who is buried there together. Our guest has been Dr. Melody T. McLeod, founder medical director of Atlanta Women's Healthcare, retired OBGYN, blazing a trail in 85, 1985, when after her training at Emory became the first black female to establish a practice over in DeKalb County, third to do so in Metro Atlanta, uh, historically deemed by the Atlanta Business Chronicle as the OBGYN to the who's who of Atlanta's women. You've been a physician of the year, author, public speaker, frequent medical consultant. This has been great spending some time with you today. As we are here in Black History Month, 
we celebrate you for being the trailblazer that you have been in our community. And we thank you for bringing us the story of Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Thank you, first of all, for having me and thank you for your kind words just now. And she, she deserves that honor, that legacy, that recognition, especially as we deal with health in the Black community. We, we, we can do it. We, we can do this. So thank you. Thank you for having me anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condos Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.